0: Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message.
1: Anyway, hey, I'm gonna call my good friend up, Ron Wilson, and uh, everybody, this is the man. He's not a myth, but he is a legend. This guy has the biggest
0: heart. uh, Really, anybody I know, and he has a heart for Ohio. He has a heart for for leadership. He has a heart for pastors. He has a heart to connect the bride,
1: and he has a heart for revival. And uh, he's just an amazing, amazing man. We, We met kind of by accident. In um, the natural, but God Divine planned us to have breakfast together at a hotel uh, lobby one day. And uh, ever since then, he's become a good dear friend. But he's responsible for connecting all of us fine people tonight. So, Ron, love you, man. Thanks for making
0: this happen. Good evening. I won't stay for very long, but uh, um, uh, my heart's really full. It's just really full. Um, when I look out at, at um, a lot of faces that I know and faces I don't know, some of you drove three, three and a half hours. Some of you drove three and a half minutes. I don't care, it doesn't make any difference. But you came, because what, was been, what has been said so far is there's a connecting going on. There's a revival happening, a revival of recent reformation, and we're smack dab in the middle of it. Smack dab in the middle of it. Marked Ones, Ohio. About four or five years ago, I guess five years ago, God laid in my heart just to uh, start connecting Ohio. And the beautiful thing, it wasn't just my heart, it was lots of people. They say the same thing. Don't you just love confirmation and affirmation? Yeah. We serve a good God, a great Father who just loves to affirm us. And he connected with people like uh, Aaron Nicole and, and Upper Room. And it, what, what an honor it is just to be in this place. This house, when you walk in, you know it's real and you know it's relational. You know revival lives here. And that's what Marked Ones is all about. Marked Ones is really based out of Ephesians. You know, Ephesians, says, chapter 1, it says, once they believed, they were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. And we just really feel that part of our inheritance is revival. Yeah. For this generation, the generations who are alive right now, on this planet Earth, and then especially in Ohio. And then this year, it started off with one year at a time. And Steve, I know you were the very first one in Marion. And uh, then the Lord led us to just just do five of them in 2018. And when that Lord laid laid that on our hearts, uh, I talked to a lot of people to get their input. Because I, I don't believe in lone ranger ministries, and I don't want to do stuff alone. It's no fun doing stuff alone. It's fun doing it in groups of people with family. So I bounced it off a few people. I went up. Uh, Chris and I went up to up to up to, up to, to Bethel and talked to Steve. And we're sitting out on the, on the patio there, and kind of gave him the idea of you know starting in the in the uh, the northwest, and the northeast, and south east and southwest and then end up here. And he goes, Ron, it kind of reminds me of a swimming pool, one of those round pools you have in the backyard when you're a kid growing up. And and as as kids, you get around the outer outer edge of the perimeter, and you start walking and try to run as fast as you can. And it creates a current. And once that current is going, you can just kind of flop down on your back and just lay and just float around. And that's what he saw happening in this in 2018. There's just a current of revival happening. There is there's a connection happening. It's God-breathed and God-anointed and, and, and God-fulfilled. And all we have to do is, like, get in the pool with him and just lay back on our backs and just float down the river with him. And it's such a good ride. It's a really good ride. You know, the, the revival that we're in is uh, it's kind of a redefined revival. You know, not to look down upon the former things that, that God's done in Ohio and on the earth, you know, the, the three days of tent revivals and the, the sawdust and those type of things, or the week-long in the church, those are important. If it wouldn't be for those, we probably wouldn't be here tonight. But God's doing a new thing. It's a, it's a revival culture. It's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a revival of realness. Realness in relationships, of rawness with Him. Vertically first. We've been plastic. The church, we've been too plastic too long. And it's time to be really real. With him, because he's always real with us. And that's got to come first. And then real and relational with one another. And that's what I feel he's doing. And the word that Nicole, that you brought out is Ezekiel, is just like, it's stinking perfect. It's just like stinking perfect. That, that's just what he's doing. It's just what he's doing. And we just honor that. Thank you. But I see that, um, you know, tonight... This is all part of that, that Gulliver prophecy. This was started before I ever knew there was a Gulliver prophecy. And uh, but we're part of it. You know, Ohio's critical. Why he chose Ohio, I don't know, but he did. And I'm very thankful for it. Very, very thankful for it. We're, we're involved in it right here. And, and I, just, I just believe that, you know, here we are in Tip City, Ohio. And the things that God has done so far in Ohio all across for the last few years especially even in 2018, that I know is probably a word y'all have had many times, I don't know, but what he gave me, that we're at a tipping point in this. We're at a tipping point. And God has just poured so much of his love in. He just keeps pouring and pouring and pouring that he just told me, as long as there's two people at Tip City, that's all it takes, two or more, as long as there's two people at Tip City, he is, is going to reach the tipping point, the critical mass just to pour out a river of his his love, a river that's unquenchable, that's unstoppable. That's what a tipping point is. It's just a a river of his, it's like a wildfire of his love. It's a light, Joel. So tonight, we just want to step in that river with him and let him flow and let him, because it always does, it starts out at the ankle and the knee and waist that's coming over our head float with him tonight, Amen. and we're just so thankful for what he's doing, because it's uh, Jesus is the centerpiece of all of this. Yeah. So tonight, it's just my honor and pleasure to, to introduce a couple of friends of mine, um, and Steve, you're first. Is that a correct statement? Uh, Steve Witt, um, you know, we go back probably five years, uh, not super long, but he, Steve is uh, the lead pastor, the, the senior leader of Bethel Cleveland. An apostolic voice across the, the nation, especially in this region. And it's an honor to call him friend. And you know, I didn't have to go up to Bethel, Cleveland to get your permission to do this. But I wanted to. Because I wanted your blessing. And that's how I feel about you. Uh, it's, it's a, I honor our relationship. And I'm thankful for the blessing you provide for us. So he's going to kick it off tonight and just do whatever it is Steve does. I've never heard him He doesn't bring a truth and a word That's timely and irrelevant For the evening And then next will be Joel Reichland, uh, The the leader, he's on staff Also Bethel Cleveland The leader of Real Love Ministries And by the way there's a a table in the the lobby uh, Of things that he's involved in and Bethel Cleveland's involved in But uh, Everybody needs a dream Don't they? Everybody's looking for a dream we don't dream enough, but as Joel so eloquently says, that Jesus is the dream that we're looking for. Yeah, yeah. And Joel is very good at leading people to Jesus and letting them be healed in their hearts and in their bodies by Jesus Christ. So with that being said, Steve, why don't you come on up and you just kick us off here even further down the, the pike. Float us farther down the river if you would, please. Yeah.
1: First of all, thank you for inviting me down here. Oh, I see it back there. Thank you. <laughs> you want to make sure I know where that is. Right. Sorry. <laughs> um, you know, coming down here, I thought of one thing. It's it's a little odd. I, I've never been to Tip City before. I was born and raised in Ohio. Went away to college in Missouri, and uh, ended up being uh, Put together with a very uh, fun, outgoing guy. Uh, his name was Jim, and he was from Tip City, Ohio. And so we were roommates and very good friends for years. We're good friends, actually. And uh, uh, it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of weirdly chilling coming down
2: here. And not the
1: weather outside, obviously, but they it, it's there's something. I said, well, what's that about? I mean, of all places, Tip City. And I've, I've never been down. I've been all over Ohio, but never in Tip City. And uh, and I thought of my roommate. His last name's Lyman. And uh, his dad was a state farm agent down here. And um, as soon as I said, you know, I'm thinking about his name, the Lord said that there's the, the, the word lie came to me, not L I E, but L Y E. And there's something of a. Uh, you know, lye soap is used to scrub and really get things clean. There's something of a holiness anointing that is upon this area. And I don't say that lightly because there's something, and I'm talking about true holiness that's not uh, a legalistic holiness, but it's a holiness out of a passionate desire to present good things to the Lord Jesus Christ. We love the Lord. We give to the Lord. We sow to the Lord. We do the. We lay our very lives down. Yeah, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, the reasonable service. It says, which is really amazing. There's something about this area that's going to come forth in real, a real powerful form of uh, holiness before the Lord. And I uh, also want to just talk briefly about. Well, first of all, can I, Daniel? What do I do with those? Uh, yeah, they're there they are, Joel. If you could bring them up to me. Did a series a while back, and I want to, I want to give some of these away. Uh, it's it's one of my theme messages here. In fact, Joel can just hold this yeah. guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't do it. I'm not used to holding the microphone, you know, so. Uh, yeah, it's called Building Beautiful, and this has been one of my, really one of my life themes about beauty. I just love beauty. I just, I, I love beauty in nature. I love beauty. I love the beauty of the Lord, you know, and. And so sort I of did these, you know, if I'm going to give you one of these, you got to have a CD player. And, uh, and then you got to have a real need that I'll tell you about here in just a minute. But, so I cover things like, you know, transforming effects and beautiful community. I've got one here Go West, John Man, It's a whole thing about going countercultural. Beauty and glory, making lemonade in the desert. That was a good one. I like that one. Structure and systems that bring life. So it's that kind of a series. And I think you're going to enjoy it. We're going to give it to five people. But I want to give it to, it says here in the front. Those are six. Okay, thank you. All right, yes, Joel counts. (laughs) (laughs) Discovering beauty in the challenges of life. Is there someone here? First of all, is there there a Colleen here tonight? I know there's a random name. Is there a Colleen here? (laughs) I do too, but there's (laughs) a... uh, (laughs) I thought there was. I'll uh, oh, hold on that because there's there's something about that. Uh, so anyone here who's facing a major challenge in your life, uh, let's start with that. Raise your hand in this room. I'm talking like, you know, not like, hey, I don't know what to eat for breakfast tomorrow. It's something. It's a big one, big one. So we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, about eight in this room. Okay, Joel. So just keep your hand raised. Joel's going to use the sermon to figure out who to give these six to. Those eight. I to responsible for it. So go ahead, Joel. Just keep your hands raised around the room. He'll get that to you. I wish have brought more. I, I, in fact, hey, Daniel, I, I've got. You know what? I've got eight. There's two. I think there's two more out in the car. Can you go check that in the back? Thank you. You know what? Cards ready. Yeah, okay. <laughs> So we got that done. Tonight's a, nice, a lot of different things. That was one of them, and that's over. Check. All right, can we got that out of the way. Just want to bless some people with that. And uh, oh yeah, the other thing I was supposed to talk about, and then I'm going to share a few words, and then we're going to go out and eat chicken or something. I don't know. Right? Well, then Joel, that's right. Joel's after that. Then the chicken. So um, the Gulliver work, not too not too far down the road from here and a little bit of Northern Cincinnati in 2005. I was down there because a friend of mine was down there speaking, Bob Jones. And Bob Jones, if you do not know him, was a very unusual man. He, he talked about the love of God his whole life. It's a long story and amazing how God marked his life with love and oddly enough, he died on Valentine's Day. So that's the prophetic life of Bob Jones. I've been to his house several times, I've been to mine several times. Uh, he was kind of funny, you know, uh, he had all these prophetic words about me related to revival. And, you know, I talked to him on the phone. He'd say, was it happened yet? And I said, W-what? what are you talking about, Bob? And he goes, revival. And I said, no, not yet. Not the way we wanted to come. And he goes, well, what are you doing? <laughs> it's like, Bob, it's not up to me, man. We're all trying to do stuff. I mean, I always felt like I was under the gun with Bob Jones. And so, <laughs> so I went down there, and I got way up in the balcony of this place that we Meeting and uh, actually we just went back there with the call last year to that place. I forget where it was actually, but Hamilton. Hamilton. Yes, thank you, in Hamilton. And I remember sitting up in the balcony because we got there late. And uh, Bob speaking. And Bob gets to this point. And he says, Is "Anyone here from Cleveland? Now we're in Cincinnati. Anyone here from Cleveland?" And like a few people raise their hands. We were like some of the only ones up in the balcony. And he saw us, and he says, the Lord, show me this picture, this, I figure it, it was a vision or a dream, I forget now, of Gulliver. And Gulliver, we all know Gulliver, you know, Gulliver's the, the, the old guy that laid down and was in Lilliput and was tied down by little things. So he starts to give this, Bob was very kind of cryptic in his, in his things, but uh, sometimes actually, I would sit with him for three hours and, and he would say, you know what I mean? And I didn't understand anything he had said that whole three hours, you know, but I, I, I would go, I would, I'd lie, and I'd say, yeah, yeah. Because I knew that if I said no, he'd tell me the whole thing over again, so, yeah, yeah I got, I got a bum. So anyway, he, he, we're down there, and he starts talking about Gulliver, and he says, Gulliver is the revival man. He's been tied down, and his head's in Cleveland, you know, and so the six or seven of us in the public, he went, whoo! found out we were really kind of the only ones there from Cleveland. There were a few more actually there, but we yelled out, yeah, Joel's there actually before I even do it. And uh, so we were there, and he shared this word, and he said the head is in Cleveland. He said, but the head must rise first. And so, uh, so I thought, well, that's good. You know, I like being the head. That's great. You know, and, and it's got to rise first. And he says the the this man stretches all the way down the, the central east coast of the United States. And then he's going to stand up. He's, he's about to break out of these things that have little input, basically, and so these strings of religion and things that have held us back. The reason this is a a big word is because that's part of what this marked one's little swirl in the pool is all about. It's it's about stirring the state, and we're going to continue to do this, and one way or another we're going to continue to stir the state until we feel that the, the full swirl is taking place, and we can just cruise in what God's doing And so he says the head was in Cleveland, the heart was in uh, Columbus, uh, the reproductive organs were in uh, Cincinnati, and the one foot was in uh, Nashville, the other foot was in uh, Charlotte, the left hand was in Philadelphia, the right hand was in Indianapolis. And when this revival man stands up, both feet will be in Atlanta, Georgia, and when that happens, uh, the whole South will be one. And so it's a huge worry. It's yeah. a huge word. I mean, everyone there, it was a word way above our pay grade. Everyone there is like, oh, okay. You know, maybe we clap. You know how it is. We go, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then you say, what are we going to do? What, do we do anything? I mean, what, what do you do with that? You know, you pray into it? Sure. What? what how's that going to happen? By the way, that was 13 years ago. Right. And so, you know, I've been watching this. Well, I adopted that word. I went home with it. Man, I preached it in our church, you know. You preach it for a few Sundays and then, you know, revival doesn't happen. We always think things are going to happen like tomorrow, you know. And I, I prefer that that happened that way. But God always has some other plan. He's working because actually it says in one Psalm 105 that the very process of walking through the fulfillment of the word as, as exemplified in Joseph in the Old Testament, that the word tests you and actually... Brings about something in your life to capacitate you for the word that's going to come. Most words that are given to you, you're really not ready for. You think you're ready for. So you do like Mary is saying, be it done unto me according to your word. Mary, this means you're going to be pregnant without being married. Oh, what? I didn't read that. What Was that in the footnote or what? You know, she said, be it done unto me according to your word. like Because, you know, the Lord You likes using these cryptic terms like, in the Holy Spirit will ever you. I don't mind being overshadowed. I don't want to get pregnant, but I don't mind being overshadowed. You know, so so there's this. But Mary quickly adopts it, and we in the church, are, we're we're sons and daughters of Mary. The yeah. Catholic Church lets us know that. I mean, we're we're sons and daughters of Mary. It's that it is in our heart to respond quickly, and then and then be concerned about the details later on. So right now we're in a detail time. Details are being checked off, and I think hearts are being calibrated. But let me tell you this it's interesting there's been so many things connected with this Gulliver word. for instance, in the 2016 election, uh, the uh, Democratic National Convention was held, strangely enough, in the left hand in Philadelphia, which was Bob Jones had prophesied that 11 years prior that the left the left would be in Philadelphia and there were things words attached to each one of these aspects of the body. And the right hand would be in Indianapolis, which Mike Pitt's Vice President Mike Pence is from Indianapolis. That He was selected that year to be there. So we're watching all this like, these are fingerprints of God. We're crazy enough in Cleveland to believe that kind of stuff, you know. There's some fingerprints of God. We think there's a rippling going on. There's like an awakening that's taking place. Now, this awakening may take time. Because way back when I first received this word, right after, I mean, it was right at the time when LeBron James had just come with the Cavaliers And over the next decade, we had this kind of humorous attachment of Christian words to the Cavalier team, beginning with Witness. Witness was on all kinds of t-shirts all over the place, you know, with Nike and everything else. And Witness, of course, is kind of a Christian word. And then uh, he had said, the head must rise first. So Cleveland, without knowing Bob Jones' prophecy, adopts hashtag, rise up, rise up. When, when the 2016, uh, national, the 2015 USA Today, in announcing the 2016 National Convention, the Republican Convention would be in Cleveland, it also had this mosaic on the front page above the fold in USA Today that said, and had this picture of LeBron James and, and the Republican National Convention, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, all these kinds of things in a mosaic together. And, it's, and it said, uh, oh shoot, what did it say? It said, Cleveland is rising. That's what I said. Now, now, normally I'd like that headline anyway. We want to think of the, a decrepit city that's been on a decline for 50 years and is about to finally start rising. You know, So that was good news. Clevelanders are happy about that. But Clevelanders who had the inside understanding of the prophetic word that had already been released by the prophet that really nobody knows about in government in Cleveland, we are there like, yes, Cleveland RISING. Cleveland is rising. So we understood in our minds that in 2015 and actually in 2016 there was a touch point, a flash point, where there's something happening right now in these past two years that we are now a part of. We may not even realize, but Cleveland is rising. And as Cleveland rises, we don't know how fast this thing is going to rise. I do. I do believe it's going to be like a wave. And I believe that. And, and we understand there's things going on all over. Cleveland's not special in that way. Only according to this prophetic word. But as the head rises first, there's going to be a wave all the way down to the heart, all the way down, all the way to the feet that will stand in Atlanta, Georgia. We've tried different strategies to line up with this. And I tell you, I think God is about to do something because what Bob Jones said is when, this, when this, this Gulliver revival man rises up, that there's going to be a major revival on the whole east coast of the United States. And it would, and it would actually go westward a little bit go up into Chicago and begin to touch other parts of the nation. It's a pretty fascinating word. If you get a chance, I think you can Google it and read it online. You'll get a little better feel for it. So we've been leaning into this word now for 13 years. 13 years. It's interesting. 13 years. 13 years is from the time that Joseph got his prophetic dream to the time it was fulfilled. 13 years is from the time that David was anointed to the time he became king. So I start to look at it and I think, be it done unto me according to this word. Lord, this is a year you're wanting to do something. And I think I have an indicator of what it is. It's taken me 13 years to figure this out. I mean, I think it's unity and I think it's all. I mean, you could say so many things about what it is to have revival. People get saved. People get healed. I remember back in the Toronto Blessing. I was a part of the Toronto Blessing. I was on the apostolic team up there for a decade you know, we got to see magnificent things, not only in Toronto, but all over the world, I mean, I remember going into Japan, a thousand pastors there, I didn't know Japan had a thousand pastors, a thousand pastors are there, they're all standing up, you know, we would just wave our hands, they'd go on the floor, and this samurai anointing came upon them, you know, they'd all lay on the floor, like they had swords going, it was very dangerous walking around in there, you know, and I saw those guys just awakening. You know, they didn't know what we didn't, we couldn't call it a revival because all the other religious people jumped up right away and said, That's not a revival. A revival is when souls are saved. That's the traditional sense of revival. Well, I'm sorry. What is this? That's just silliness. Just people laughing laying on the floor. We well, you know the church kind of needed some laughter, back. And for some things that we were about to experience as a nation, we needed some lightening up. I believe the church has needed massive lightening up for probably uh, maybe 200 years, maybe, maybe long. How is this nation? That's how long. We've been governed by religious spirits and political spirits and Jezebel spirits for a long time. And as soon as a little joy sparkles up in the hearts of some believers, they come down and try to put their thumb on it right away. And I'm telling you right now that that's not going to happen anymore. That the Lord has released the church in a way that it's never been released before. That's why you get pastors that have short pants on. (laughs) Honestly, that's the part, uh, you know, regardless of what you think about that, or others might think about it. It's it's an effect of a spirit of liberty that's coming upon the church. I understand we all have lines, we have boundaries, we need to follow those, and we understand that some things that are traditional actually are, do serve us and work well. You know, even you can step in faith, and we, we're in a building, it looks like a church, that's tradition, that's fine, you know, and it's good, because we're in Ohio, it's going it to get pretty cold pretty soon, so we need that. So we understand that, but there's also... Traditions that nullify the word of God. That's what the Bible says. There are traditions that actually cloud the understanding of who God is. I preached on it this morning. I didn't preach on it tonight, but it was on my mind this morning. I just thought the Lord right now is, is turning religion upside down. He's turning religion on his back. Here's, here's what I think he's going to do. Uh, so you got to go over work, right? I did my job. That's it. We understand. Good. So we're leaning into that. But I want to look just real quick over to uh, Acts chapter 10. I want to show you something. I I do think in some ways we're mirroring uh, a New Testament church, at least here in America. Around the world so many different things are happening. Who knows? But I do know this, that the early church was not perfect. You know, I grew up in an environment, I should say in my early ministry environment, I grew up with people that were, Wanting to, to to restore the New Testament church, I saw, I bought that man. I bought that lock, stock, and barrel. You know, I just thought, you know, it's, well, yeah, we want to do what they did in the New Testament. I love what John Wimber used to say in the Vineyard. People would come up and be upset at him because of the things he was teaching, things he was doing, and they go, they would go, I don't want to do anything unless it's in the Bible. And Wimber would look at him in his little clever way, and he'd say, Really? Have you read the Bible? because he understands that in the Bible there's stuff that happens that we would never think of doing. I mean spitting in someone's tongue so that they can speak. We don't do that in our church. You do it here. <laughs> How about do you mix your spit up with mud and putting on people's eyes? No. Well, we don't do that. So when you start, I mean we think we're, we're New Testament people you know. Well read the New Testament. I mean Love Your Enemies? Oh, are we doing that? I don't know. I mean, when you start reading it, you know, this is a dangerous book, especially the stuff in red. It's dangerous. You read that stuff, you're like, I don't know what to think about that. And so we sing Kumbaya or something to get our minds off of, you know, I don't want to have to do what Jesus, I don't to leave. So when you think about the Acts Church, you're like, I just want to go back to the Acts Church. Really? So you want to go to a capital city. Be struck by the power of God, abandon where you've come from, move in some, with some people you do not know, and begin to build a little sect in the Jewish religion. Is that what you want to do? No, we don't want to do that. We believe God's doing something fresh and new today. You know? So we look back at it, but there's an amazing example. Let me just tell you, I've read through the book of Acts. I, it's one of my favorite books. I pour through it, I pour through it because it's the, it's the outworkings of what happens when God shows up. So it's kind of important. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. or Some say the Acts of the Apostles. I believe it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. We're seeing what the Holy Spirit does when people cooperate in some way. But let me tell you, they were not highly cooperative. They still had a whole lot of religion on them for quite a while, even after the Holy Spirit showed up. We know they had this in Acts chapter 1, because in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus said, you know, they don't know what's going to happen. They don't understand it. They didn't. In fact, they haven't understood anything Jesus has said for the past three years. Says, and they knew not what he said. <laughs> what manner of man is this? I do not. I, mean, I believe half the time Jesus shared things to them and they stood around the little circle. He'd gather them around. they would stand around and he'd share something with them. And he'd say, and, and uh, uh, Peter would lean over to John and say, yeah. You know what he's talking about? No, I don't know what he's talking about. He's talking about the loaves and the fishes. We gave him bread. Why is he still talking about it? Because he looks at him and says, It's the, it's the loaves. It's the the leaven of the Pharisees. Oh, okay. That makes sense. That doesn't make any sense. Jesus spoke <laughs> in such incredible ways that it, and we're still unpacking what he said 2,000 years later. It's amazing. And so that's why the Word of God is so living and active and powerful. Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, they're, they're in the upper room, and it's like, well, what do we do? He said, Terry. All right. Now, what do we do? Keep tarrying. All right. How long do you think it's going to take? Until you be endued with power. What's going to happen? You're going to be a witness. That's their word for martyr, by the way. You're going to be a martyr. All right. Let's hurry this along. It's amazing. <laughs> You're going to be martyrs in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. This sounds like a road trip. Uttermost parts of the world. Whoa. I thought he was like coming back. We're going to hang up here a while he's going to come back on a horse. He's going he's to kick the Romans out and the Jews will reign forever. Apparently not. You're going to become witnesses, martyrs, which most of them did. Ten of them did. One committed suicide and the other one did not uh, die by uh, uh, man's means or by martyrdom. The other ten did. So it did happen, you know. So Jesus speaks this powerful prophetic word. How many of you think that if you had been there, you'd know exactly what to do? Because he laid it out in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and I don't know if they're Jews. Did they not think that, did they think they were going to minister to Jews in the uttermost parts of the world? Like someone didn't think this whole thing out? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world. This is the, the point of what I'm saying is that the, the thing that the Holy Spirit is about to do in, Oso, in Ohio is he's going to break the mind locks in Christian people. Yes, right. Thank God. I say that with all hesitation because I know I'm one of them. He's going to break my mind locks, my my thinking, my religious thinking that I'm not even aware of. My limitations, my loss, my lacks, all these things that limit me into what God can really do. He's going to roll over it powerful. He's going to stand up like Gulliver, and we're going to see the power of God moving in ways that are out of control. Well, yeah, yeah. You realize that, right? Uh-huh. If you're out of control, it means control's gone. <laughs> but we need control. I mean, already in your mind, he, well, yeah, but, yeah, I get that. But, you know, we need need structure. Yeah, I I understand that, but I'm just telling you we're going to be blown away. We're going to be blown away about what he does without our permission. Uh. It's going to be horribly wonderful. So we get Acts chapter 1, and I'm speeding this up, Joel, don't get nervous, but in Acts chapter 1, we've got 28 chapters in in Acts, Acts chapter 1. you know, well let's elect a new apostle, there's a lot of debate on this, you know, was this really the the word of the Lord to them, they needed to, they even picked scriptures, they pull scriptures out to prove what they're doing, we all do that, right, I mean you find a remote scripture somewhere and say, see, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing, that's why I'm living this, this woman that I'm not married to, I mean we come up with scripture for everything we need, Christians, And so they pull the scripture out, and so they elect a guy named Matthias, and honestly, and and there's no disrespect to Matthias, I'm sure he's a great guy, but because it was an open seat because of Judas committing suicide. So they felt that, you know, they they still had this traditional thing going on, and then we need to, you know, if the Lord's going to come back and set up his kingdom the way I think he's going to do it, we need the 12 apostles. And so let's get one elected here real quick that cast lots for him, which is the tradition of the Old Testament to do that, they elect this guy, Matthias, they put him in, and relatively speaking, after that time, you never hear anything else about Matthias. Not even in, in church history. You know, all the rest of them you hear about, but him you don't hear about, but Paul you do. Is it possible the apostle Paul was the 12th apostle? You ever thought about that? Of course, that's a popular thought for hundreds of years, that, that we have our man to put in but God has his man to put in. That's part of the mind-breaking that's going on. The mind locks are being breaking, broken. So what happens in the next chapter, the Holy Spirit come, uh, shows up, and kaboom. I mean, it just blows their mind. He comes in a way that I don't think that they were anticipating. I mean, whirlwinds of wind and fire blowing up. The, the, the biblical passage seems to indicate in the Greek that the doors blew up. So it'd be like if I'm talking right now and the doors blew open, it'd be kind of cool, it'd really give some umph to my message, but but they blew open, you know, you'd be like, whoa, what's that? And then if a whirlwind came in and and kind of uh, uh, squiggly lines of fire was on your head like tongues of fire. They were like tongues of fire were on your head, and everyone's like, whoa, and they're running around the room, but oh, no, 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 no. they're speaking in seventeen different languages, according to scripture. And they could not understand one another. And so they walk out onto the, the balcony, you know, and people are hearing their languages. They're from all over the world. They're hearing languages, they're hearing these unlearned Galileans speaking languages from all over the world. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. I guarantee you, it's not what they anticipate was going to happen. And then the power of God begins to move. We know what happens. The church growing, 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 thousands, thousands, thousands. We're like, whoa. And it's a Jewish sect. It's known as a Jewish sect at that point. So it's like a little Jewish thingy. There's a bunch of zealots that are doing this thing. and it's not, So, so for, for several years, things are cranking along real well. And Somewhere around the fourth or fifth year, they've got this issue. By the way, all these people have stayed in Jerusalem. These party-goers that come for the, for the Feast of uh, um, uh, Pentecost are still in town. They're getting saved. They don't want to go home. They want to see what's going on. So they're moving in with other believers. I mean, you imagine this kind of crowded scenario as people are, that's what the, why they were bringing all their stuff and laying at the apostles' feet to support all the people that were there from out of town. I mean, are you going to do that? You'll sell your house and come in and say, hey, just feed all the folks, you know, take care of them. Barnabas did. That's a whole other story, but Barnabas starts out as a servant with his money and he ends up being a preeminent apostle that trains other apostles. <laughs> but he just started out as a guy named Joseph. The disciples called Barnabas because he gave a lot of money away. And Barnabas means encourager. Hey, that guy over there, he's an encourager. What's he do? He gives money away. Everybody likes people who gives money away. So let's call him encourager. Barnabas. That becomes his name, Barnabas. And so it's going on and on. You think, okay, the church is still okay. Then they get to this place where they're, they're showing deep prejudice within their midst. They're not, they're not taking care of the Hellenistic Jewish widows they're giving preference to the Hebraic Jewish widows. You go, what's the big deal? Take care of all the widows. It was a big deal to them. Because the Jewish widows spoke a different language. They were, did not speak Hebrew. They were speaking Greek. And so they were given a little more food to them. And you say, that is appalling. We're talking about spiritual people that have been in the upper room, been touched by the power of God. They still have prejudice. I know it's not true in America right now, but it was true then. <laughs> so you start looking at the chapters closely and you think, there was problems. There it was amazing revival, but there was these people were still people. They still had issues, challenges, problems. So anyway, uh, that goes on. You get into chapter eight. This is going to end pretty quick here, but in chapter eight, it, it gets to a place where uh, Philip, who is a deacon, not even an official apostle, wanders over into Samaria, in Samaria, and ministers to people, and they they get like. Touch my God. He's like, oh, no, no, I'm in big trouble with the guys in Jerusalem. You know, they need not even send me out here to do this. And so he goes over and gets John and says, can you come and chat with these people? I mean, you've got you got more experience at this. And they come over, and, and there's this kind of nod, nod, wink, wink from heaven during this moment. Like the Holy Spirit all through the book of Acts is saying, hello, guys. Get out of Jerusalem. Get out of Jerusalem but they're staying in Jerusalem. Little foray over there to Samaria, but quickly pulling back, you know, Jerusalem, Jewish sect, it's still very much a Jewish religion (laughs) after five years, after six years, after seven years, after eight years, after nine years, and then you get to the 10th year. This is where you come in. In the 10th year, there's a guy named Cornelius. Cornelius is not a Jew. He's a God-fearer. Everybody knows what God-fearers are, right? God-fearer is a Jew wannabe. He was mimicking the Jews. In fact, when you read in a passage, you find out real quick, he does not have the legit experience with Jesus Christ. It, the guy has really bad theology. He's really messed up. He doesn't understand anything that's going on. But he sees the favor of God on Jewish people and so he starts fasting. He starts praying and he starts giving alms to the poor because that's what Jews did. And somehow in the Bible it says, and that rose up as a memorial before God. I don't know how that works, I don't understand. I don't get heaven at all, but I mean, is God up in heaven all of a sudden above the clouds, this memorial rises up, hey, what's that? Well, that's that's Cornelius. So God dispatches an angel to go down there and find out what's going on. I, I, this is one of my questions when I get to heaven how this all, how this all happens. But the bottom line is, is that To go get information about what just happened. So I always tell people, you know, I love this passage. I always tell people, look, you know, you're in a revival when God gives out to non-Christians your church's address. Really, if God, you know, and so and I, I wonder sometimes does the Lord even know what our address is? You know, would He give it out? Does He? To, are we the kind of people that He'd want to send people to our church? You know, that concerns me a lot. And so I, I, I think, wow. He's telling them to go over to Peter's house. And so he sends men over to Peter's house. Now, Peter is having his own issue. Peter represents the church here. He's having his own issues. While God is, it's like, let me just put it this way. This is my opinion. It's not a thus says the Lord. But it's almost like God gets impatient with the church and goes outside the boundaries to touch Cornelius. Because Cornelius is, I'll, I'll spoil it right now. Cornelius becomes the open door to the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy, the uttermost parts of the world. He's the one who blows the door open. He's not even a Christian. And so he goes to Peter. Peter, meanwhile, has had this vision because he's hungry on a rooftop, typical Christian pastor. He's hungry on a rooftop, and, and he sees the sheep come down with critters that they cannot eat. It comes down, there's this, you know, the little thing that happens, and And Peter says, I would never touch that. Basically, we find out later on it's an illustration that God's about to open the door to the Gentiles, which you as a Jew would not have anything to do with them, but it's coming three times that happens, which establishes it. Peter holds fast like, there's no way I'm going to do that. I don't care what the vision is. I'm not going to eat something that by law I'm not allowed to eat. I'm a good Jew. See, he's still bound by his religion rather than the freedom of Jesus Christ. This, by the way, theologians believe was 10 years after Pentecost. 10 years. They've established their own kind of rut by that time. Their own kind of religious understanding. So God was about to blow the doors off. And so what God does, he sends Cornelius over to uh, Peter's house. Uh, uh, These guys, these uh, emissaries gets Peter to go over to Cornelius' house. Peter walks in and this is where I end it right now because this applies to us. Acts chapter ten. Let me get there myself. Acts chapter ten. Cornelius shows up, and or G, uh, Peter shows up at Cornelius' house. Cornelius has gathered a bunch of people in his house. This guy's like an evangelist, and he's not even a Christian. Gets all these people, he's excited about it. And it says uh, in verse twenty-five, it says, "As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him." This is one of the indicators he wasn't really taught. So Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. (laughs) Yeah, you know this guy's he's he's not quite ready yet. Uh, But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I myself am a man. And he talked with him and he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, so Peter, he's still a man who's kind of bound by religious law to some degree. He steps in and he just clarifies he's in a Gentile house right now. So he says this. He says, uh, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation? So he just got that down. I'm, I'm really not supposed to be there. Be here. So see, there's still a level of, of, of binding that's in his heart. He says this, but God has shown me. This is what's going to happen. God is about to show the church some of the stuff that's been holding them back, which has been a plug in the great tub that the Lord is trying to drain right now so that the glory of the Lord can come upon Ohio in the way that it's supposed to manifest. So here's the deal. It's up to the church. What do we need to do? Do we need to go out there? That's all good stuff. Pray, go out there, do all you want to do. But what we really need to do is change our mind. Change our thinking. Find the liberty of the Lord. It's like the Lord is looking over the state waiting for someone to catch on to to what it really is to be free in the spirit of God. For where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. One of the key things that people should be saying when they come into your church is, I felt so free today. That's a taste of heaven. It's never perfect on this side of heaven, but that's a really good taste. He says, so God has shown That I shall not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent and asked you, uh, so for what reason am I here? And so they have to tell him, Cornelius has to tell him what happened. And finally, at the end, he goes, I get it. I got it. And the Holy Spirit breaks out, and the rest is history from there. So here's the deal. You've got to think in your mind right now, what is holding back the revival, the the thinking in my mind that is holding back what God really wants to do? Because he's been tarrying... For 13 years from that prophecy, I believe that prophecy is the word of the Lord. Yeah. I really do. Why has he been tarrying? He's waiting. You know, the, the, the first group in Pentecost, they tarried, waiting for the Lord. Right now the Lord's tarrying, waiting for us. Right. When we have an epiphany and an understanding, Lord, my mind is bound. Lord, I still have stuff that is hindering me from receiving what you're about to do. Because here's some things that might, that might test you. Let me just throw these out. And Joel, you can go ahead and start getting ready to come up here because we're <laughs> almost done here. So. What if the Lord breaks out? Now, every time I, I mention this, this classic illustration here, everyone gets excited about it. like, oh, yeah, sure. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know? But what if the Lord breaks out in the Mormon church? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, you're, you're, we're all we're good Christians, right? also, awesome. You've done that to me according to your word. It's be great. But the problem is, what if, what if it moves in the Mormon Church, but it does not? The Holy Spirit does not move in your church. And what if actually you find out? I may have to go over here to the Mormon Church and get them to pray for them. Now, immediate thought is, but they got weird. They got weird thinking, man. They got weird doctrine. You don't understand. You don't understand who the Mormons are. No, I get all that. I went to Bible school and seminary. I learned all about that stuff. It's it's some pretty bad stuff. You know, they're they're, they're off. They don't understand. But what? If they open their hearts up, and for whatever reason, because I found this out about the Holy Spirit, he does stuff sometimes. Again, without asking my permission, he goes. He touches people, uses people sometimes I don't even like. (laughs) In Canada, when the Toronto Blessing broke out, and it came to my city where I was living in Canada, did you know that it, it first expressed itself in the church that had split from my church? You know how irritating that is? Jesus, have mercy
0: on you. Could you just give us
1: a little bit of what, what's going on? And they're over there and they're hearing all these stories and people are starting to slip out of my church, going over that church, because, well, shoot, this is probably the Lord confirming that Pastor Steve is of the devil and this is where the Lord I mean, Christians think weird things, trust me. I've been in ministry 40 years. So, they're. I mean, they think these things. Well, Pastor Steve, I don't know how to say this, but the Holy Spirit's moving over there. Therefore, I feel that's a confirmation. That's where we need to go, you know. And so some people did that, you know, but sure enough, before a short period of time, the Holy Spirit hit our church and we became a a center of, you know, Holy Spirit activity for the rest of the time I was there and, of course, planned this church in Cleveland out of that one from Eastern Canada down to to Cleveland, Ohio. So the point is, though, is that God will move in ways that will not fit totally into your structures. It will not fit totally into your thinking. And so I think what we need to do tonight, I mean, above maybe a lot of things, we want to prophesy over people. I brought some great prophetic people with me. Joel's gonna probably get some people healed up here tonight, and we're gonna see what happens. But I want to start off first of all with some kind of a I don't know. A transformation of our minds. Let's let's just, in fact let's just stand up together if we could. I'm not sure that what he's about to do can fit with how we're thinking right now. Right. How I'm, uh, let me personalize, how I'm thinking right now. I mean, think about it. He's the God that takes a couple of fish and bread and ends up with 12 basketfuls left over after feeding 5,000 people. That's, that's the Lord. He's the kind that says, well, throw your net on the other side. Well, have a Connie, the Lord Jesus, you're a carpenter. You don't understand fishing. <laughs> we have fish all night in this little spot here. There's nothing there. Just, just throw, your, throw your net over the other side. They do that. And the fish is, the, the catch in Luke 5 is so great that their nets begin to break and the boats begin to sink. They have to call other partner boats over to throw fish and that's revival right there. When churches go, we have too many people. Can you take some of our people? We're <laughs> throwing the fish over. There. That's an effective revival. That hasn't happened yet that I've heard about, but it will happen. You know. I mean, we we'll, we will call the Methodists down the street and they'll say, well, they're not really the spirit-filled people, you know, that we are. You know, and and you're going to find out that actually, when the Holy Spirit shows up, all boats rise. All boats rise. It's really amazing. What we're gonna do if it's a Mormon church? What we're gonna do if it's a Catholic church? The Lord's been speaking to me about Catholics for over 20 years, and I, I believe that I went to a a uh, a meeting about three weeks ago. We made Joel and I made good friends with Father Bob, who's one of the key Catholic priests in the Cleveland area. Father Bob runs this little fest up there called the Fest, right? Yes. Very unique name, The Fest. So I went over to it a couple weeks ago because I heard about all these Catholics getting together. You know how many were there? They tell me, and I, I saw it. Fifty thousand Catholics were there, worshiping God, hands lifted up. All over, like tens of thousands hands up, worshiping God. We go into a private meeting. Two hundred of us out of that fifty thousand go into a private meeting with one of the organizers there, and he says, "Hey, I just want to tell you, pastors in Greater Cleveland." Now he's speaking mainly to evangelical charismatic pastors. There's, there's not a lot of Catholics in there. Catholic, all the Catholics are out there working, man. They're touching people, ministering people, and everything else. But, so we're in this room having lunch together. And he said, I want to tell you something. The Catholic, this is what this guy said, a Catholic guy authorized by the church. He says, revival is sweeping across America. And they're like, wait, they're, they're stealing our terminology. <laughs> and then you look out the window and you see 50,000 people. Like, wait, wait, they're stealing our ideas. Uh, we weren't even really invited to this thing. Why are they not calling us up and invite us up? I was invited because I'm part of the team there, but we weren't why were not why we invited. Why we're we invited? I mean, it's it's disturbing. It's disturbing. Are they praying to Mary out there? I mean, it's disturbing to us. Why would the Holy Spirit touch these people that have imperfect doctrine? Just think about that for a minute. Who has, imp- who has perfect doctrine here?
2: <laughs> He's
1: gonna touch. This move of God is going to touch people with imperfect doctrine. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to touch them powerfully. The Holy Spirit is about to sweep. So he says, he says, sweeping across America right now, he says, Catholic churches are on fire across America. Come on, on fire? Catholic church, does he use that? They're on fire across the country. And he says, it's the alpha course. The Alpha Course is being implemented in Catholic churches across the country. And people are coming to Jesus Christ in droves and home rooms like this. But I looked around all my charismatic friends and they're like, wait, we, we want some of that. Some of that power of what God's doing. I'm telling you, God is about to move in a massive way. And the biggest thing that needs to be shipped, I love what Bill Johnson always says. He says, I don't care who gets the credit. I just want to be in the room when it happens. <laughs> So that's our prize. We want to be in the room. When it happens, if we get musicians or whoever to come up here, we're just going to wait a few minutes on the Lord. I want to do a little ministry here. Joel, you can come, already, come on up already because you may get some words. Uh, we have some teams here from Cleveland and also people that we're associated with that will do some prophetic ministry and prayer for healing. But right now, let's focus on our heads. I just want to shake off my that we'd not be conformed to the world, but we'd be transformed. That we would have the mind of Christ. The past three or four weeks, I've been studying the personality of Jesus. I love Jesus. I love him on so many levels. I love him because he's not religious. I love him because he's fun. Yeah. He laughs. He has joy. The Bible doesn't say he laughs. I mean, that's, It doesn't say Jesus laughed. But it says he had joy. In fact, it says he was anointed with the oil of gladness above his brother. So he's got, now if someone is anointed with oil of gladness, what do you think they look like? They're happy. They smile. They laugh. Children wanted to come to him. Children didn't go to the Pharisees. They sought Jesus out. Why? Because he he was liberty. He was freedom his love, his joy. So here's what we're going to do. Give your forehead the vice the, the grip. <laughs> we saw someone pray for Donald Trump that way. That's why we're laughing. Anyway, give your, give your forehead. Maybe he needed it. I don't know. Grip your forehead. Lord Jesus, we pray for these minds right now, I, including mine, Lord. Lord, who Look, we want your spirit to touch this state. We want to fulfill, see the fulfillment of the prophetic words, that this state would be on fire totally. This state would be on fire with the power of God. Rick Joyner prophesied, James Gall prophesied, John Paul Jackson prophesied, Graham Cook said the church of God's dream would emerge here. In Ohio, Lord, we 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 lean into these prophetic words, Lord. We do not want any more delay, Lord. We ask for the power of Your Spirit, Lord God. I ask, Lord, for transformations of our mind. Begin to put us, Lord, in a daily activation that challenges our thinking, challenges our minds, break down religious traditions, kicks out Jezebel spirits of control and limitation that are upon our churches, Lord God.